Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Wednesday, January 11, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverens and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond, wherever you may be. It's always a privilege and a joy to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Wednesdays, I always take a little moment to to remind you uh, about the importance of praying to St. Joseph. St. Joseph is a powerful intercessor. Go to Joseph. Remember Joseph on this day. I want to bring in our Morning Air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines here this hour? Big travel head, headaches this morning in the headlines. My goodness, uh, a computer system responsible for relaying crucial info to workers involved in flight operations called the Notice to Air Missions System is down. The FAA performing uh, final checks and trying to get the system up and running again. But for now, all domestic flights have been ordered to pause departures till 9 Eastern, about an hour from now. Uh, no word on exactly when everything will be back up and running this morning, but uh, that will probably cascade down the system today. So uh, no word whether that was hacked or not as well, but a major computer system that affects uh, all domestic flights, uh, again, causing those to be on pause for another hour or so this morning. And no word again when everything will be completely up and running, but uh, that, uh, again, a batch of delays will probably cascade uh, through the day. Uh, so do call ahead if you're heading out somewhere. Uh, some Some tough news for Travelers there. Tough news for President Biden. A little surprised to find something left behind at one of the offices he used after his time as as vice president. When my lawyers were clearing out my office at the University of Pennsylvania, they set up an office for me. They found some documents in a box, you know, locked cabinet. And as soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box. I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. Glenn, there seems to be a lot of questions about the the, uh, the timing of this announcement when these documents were found right before uh, the midterm elections. Yeah, this came out in the news a couple of days ago here, but uh, they were found literally a few days before the midterm elections. Uh, if this sounds familiar, of course, uh, President Trump's uh, residence in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, raided uh, for documents that were found there. Uh, many more, but uh, some think this may cause the Department of Justice to pause or rethink uh, their investigation into President Trump, if indeed it would only be fair to investigate the president as well. You know, so I kind of wonder, you know, this is in a locked closet. Do we lose the key? Because sometimes, you know, you lose keys. You, you <laughs> think you place it over here. You don't place it over here. So maybe, he, you know, you meant to return these documents, but couldn't find the key. And then they finally were able to Jimmy Rick this thing. And then, oh, oh sorry about that. Well, he, he gave them back. So that's good. It seems a little fishy uh, that... Uh, Mr. Biden's attorneys, you know, attorneys uh, are expensive. They charge a lot uh, by the hour or even uh, by, by fee um, that they would be um, searching in a closet. Well, I mean, also moving uh, companies, you know, it, it can be cost, you know, a lot of money. So he was like, well, I already got these on the payroll gate. Why don't you guys go in there and get that stuff? So, I mean, it seems like it's cost effective to just have them do two jobs at once. 
I don't know when I'm cleaning out stuff, you know, if it's a stack of papers and I start looking at them, you know, even old newspapers, then I end up, you know, spending all kinds of time looking. So maybe they're they're like me when they're just moving stuff and hey, this looks interesting. Remember this? Wait a minute. Uh, you know, so I've I've been sidetracked when cleaning out closets in the past too. So it it could happen. It could happen. And obviously, uh, many in the mainstream media making the comparisons between uh, uh, President Biden's uh, classified documents and uh, President Trump's. Yeah, again, the uh, situation a little different. Uh, the president has a little greater authority when it comes to handling documents, and a, but a far greater number found uh, in Mr. Trump's possession as well. And uh, uh, again, uh, interesting situation. What will come out of it? Uh, we're, we're not sure that's... Uh, but, you know, maybe they need more time to do their homework, you know, on the job instead of having to bring home these classified documents. That might be a, a better idea. There you go. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the mega millions, uh, no one won it last night. It's now up to $1.35 billion. It's going to be massive this coming Friday, the second largest mega millions ever. Uh, any of you two going to uh, buy a ticket? Well, you know, I I don't generally do that, but uh, I like how you were so eager, though, John. You didn't even wait till the bosses woke up last hour. You were telling us you'd give a big amount to Relevant Radio. And so now that they're awake, you might want to repeat that. Well, I, I mean, I, are you kidding me? That is a lot of money. I think uh, Relevant Radio would, would have an endowment fund, uh, so we'd never have to have a pledge drive ever, ever again. It kind of sounds like the studio we're in might be, the name might change, to the John Morales studio, if that ever happens. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but you're forgetting. I also said I'd like to buy a batting cage for my son <laughs> first. So uh, it's all in good fun. You, you never know. Hey, you know, people do win these things, so you never know uh, what uh, the good Lord has in store. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, good luck to you guys. It looks like I'll be showing up for work Monday at least. So, anyway. Well, I'll definitely be there. So, <laughs> I leave it up to my wife. She's Cindy's the one who, who likes to do this uh, when it gets this big. You know, if I even bought a ticket, I would forget to even, like, look at what the numbers were, and I'd probably lose it. It, it wouldn't end well. So I'm just going to skip the whole thing and just show up for work. I know that if I come to work, I do get a paycheck. So that is a definite thing. The, the Powerball and all that, not a definite thing. <laughs> all in good fun. All right. Thanks again. Sure thing, John. We start each hour here on Morning Air in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. You can find us on Twitter, at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. And if you want to send us an email directly, morningair at relevantradio.com. 
Now, in your New Year's resolutions, as here we are 10 days, 11 days into the new year, perhaps uh, you wrote to stop complaining or to complain less. It is true that people who habitually complain struggle to find positive solutions to setbacks, and their cynical words uh, begin to shape how they think. This attitude can create an unhealthy negative outlook uh, about their life, but there might be something positive about complaining or not. That is the question. Joining us live uh, this morning is our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tayon, to discuss the pluses and minuses of complaining. Father Tayon is the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Uh, he has served for over 10 years in vocation ministry for Our Lady of Providence Seminary while chaplain of Bishop Hendrickson High School. And he's a longtime relevant radio and morning air contributor. Good morning, Father Tyone, Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again here at the start of the new year. And great to be with you, too. And I'm not going to start with any complaints this morning about my New Year's resolutions in light of our conversation. But it's a great topic, right? It's New Year. Sometimes people want to become more virtuous, become healthier, become more spiritual. And so at the beginning of the year, it's, it's a great topic for us to talk about. You know, how, how often do we complain? How many times a day? Are we critical? Again, it's it's a normal thing to observe things that we don't like or opinions we have about particular circumstances or even people. That's a normal human uh, occurrence, experience. We know that. But we want to be careful in the light of Christ. Where where is our complaining? Uh, How often do we complain? You know, is it kind of a, is it, is it, is it glorifying God the way we do it? Or is it sort of, you know, just bringing everybody down and bringing everybody away from the Lord? And, And it's a great topic. It's, Obviously, it's a topic in Scripture. Uh, we know that uh, some of the most popular psalms, if people have read, there's 150 psalms in the Bible, uh, and many of the psalms are rooted. If you sort of if you read a psalm, that they're either very joyful in thanksgiving, but there's also sort of uh, the psalms of lament. We can might call them uh, colloquially complaining psalms. Um, and I'll be honest, sometimes I find when I read the psalms in the breviary every day that if I'm in Different psalms, depending where what I'm going through, different psalms resonate with my prayer, and the words of the psalmist can can almost be our own. There's almost like spiritual poetry besides being inspired scripture. So certainly, complaining's been an experience all the way back, right, since human existence. And Christ has come into the world, and we think of Saint Paul, right, the other extreme, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Um, so this isn't sort of a an invitation by the Lord. Uh, or the church in this topic to to deny negative things that are going on, hard things that are going on, opinions we carry that that are not valid and honest. But at the same time, is do we have a complaining disposition, and is our complaining healthy or not? Um, and, you know, what what is it doing to our relationships and to God? When do we pray instead of complain? I always think one of the things we can do is you know who are we complaining to, who are we, who are we sharing that with? What's what's the motivation for that sharing? You know what is what is in it for God and that and and what's what's the right time right person to complain to so it, it's a great topic to start the top of the year with I think it is a fascinating topic uh, Father Tyone in fact uh, as you were uh, talking about uh, the, the Psalm of uh, Lament uh, and there are a, a number of Psalms uh, like that uh, I couldn't help but think of of uh, some of of the uh, uh, testimonies in in Scripture in the New Testament uh, that talk about people murmuring and gnashing of teeth uh, that Jesus refers to. Obviously, they were complaining. 
Yeah, no, there's no question. I mean, people complain to Jesus. They complained to Moses back in the day, right? We know that. So, yeah, people, you know, and things get tough. They didn't have enough food to eat. They've been out all day working. They didn't have any lunch. <laughs> and Like, what's going on here? And, and there's certainly that thing. And I think, I don't know, I, I this morning getting ready for today's show, I was starting to think this morning in prayer, like, you know, maybe there's, there's people in our lives, aren't there, that are just sort of like lights. Like, there's people that just have a a joyful disposition, and I think they tend to often be people that pray a lot, that have received and encountered the love of Jesus, and they tend to have sort of a, a positive disposition. Like, they, there are some people that don't seem to have conquered the complaining vice in their personality. So we all have our personality. We're, all, we're always going to have it. We're always going to be trying to work on that in Lent and in New Year's and other things. But I always I was trying to think this morning, people in my life, that you can't wait to see them because you know they're going to be positive. They're going to be encouraging. They're going to be um, grateful. They live in gratitude, which is maybe another underneath root of this complaining disposition, right? Sort of if we go to God and just complain to God all the time, and that's we have to be careful in our prayer life are we like that? Are we murmuring, gnashing our teeth to the Lord? Because there's plenty of reason to do that. But is that where we? Is that our go-to place when we pray? And that would be that could be something we need to work on. If that's true, we might really be kind of keeping a distance from the Lord, so we can be on. We want to be honest with God, tell Him everything. But you know, are we murmuring? Like, kind of, what are we meditating on, thinking about, even when we're not in conversation with other people? Um, you know, are we sort of praising the Lord and grateful, or are we murmuring uh, about things and people in our own lives? And it's a it's a great question. I think it's something we don't we might not even inventory too often. So a topic like this discussions will make us all pause and say, yeah, you know, how many times a day do I complain? Uh, the article I read about this said, you know, 30 times is, might be too many. And uh, again, who who do we complain to? What's the motivation? What's in it for God in my life? You know, how do I glorify him? And, and you know, where, where am I at with that? So it's a great question for all of us today. And I hope we kind of maybe this this few minutes together can just make us ask that and, and ask the Lord to show us, Lord, you know, what? where is this coming from? If I'm a really negative person and I'm always kind of spewing negativity wherever I go and kind of whispering about people when they're not present, where is that coming from? Is that maybe a lack of experience of God's love for me? Um, maybe that's the ultimate question, right? Are we experiencing the love of Jesus He's, God's a person, uh, heaven's a person, right? Jesus Christ. You know, do we do we are we with him? We can be with Jesus anywhere, anytime, and uh, and praise him and and ask him for guidance and help. So maybe if we are tend to tend to be a negative person, complaining, then maybe that's something we can ask the Lord for a particular grace to to heal us a little bit from that. Father Tyon, we we think of the negativity of complaining, but uh, can there be a benefit when it comes to complaining? Sure. I mean, a, a complaining, right, sort of was stating the obvious. Sometimes, you know, I think maybe complaining once about something, telling the right person. And again, there's a thousand million circumstances around this, this topic. But I think we have to, you know, I think we should be careful, like, who are we complaining to? Are we complaining to to fix the situation, to uh, pray about it? What's what's the reason we're going to complain? Is it to to help alleviate that, that situation and to make things better, to help that person, to help ourselves? deal with it better or is it really to just kind of just kind of bring someone down or go after something so so that's a question i think we need the complaining is good um it just can't be baseless and and 
kind of selfish and and sort of lashing out. So we have to again complaining. Um, you know, sometimes kind of in the retail world or other places, we we will file a complaint right when something's we feel like we've been treated unjustly, and, and that's a normal part of life. We've probably all done that. Uh, when we need to get something rectified, there's been an injustice given to us in, in some exchange or some situation. But within your relationships and daily life, um, you know, I think, you know, again, we, you know, let's be like Jesus. What did he do and how did he handle the murmuring and the complaints? Um, you know, I I, I, <laughs> I think there's, there's one job I probably would not be good at is being, you know, imagine a, a national company and you and I were in charge of the complaint department. One eight hundred, call us to complain. I can't imagine there are people that do that for a living. I always think, like, how do they do that? Look what they hope they they read the joyful psalms and not just the the lamenting psalms. But even companies and people set up complaint departments, you know. And uh, sometimes you see someone with a good joke in their office. They'll have this thing, uh, you know, if you're going to complain, turn around and get out of here. I don't want to hear it. Um, hopefully, that's playful and they're open. To kind of constructive criticism and sharing, so yeah, complaining's part of life. But but what's is it baseless complaining? Is it is it going to bring about something good? Is there something in us that we need to also look at? Maybe that's the grace, right? Is there is it coming from a humility, or is it coming from kind of pride? So so the the virtue or the vice, where, where's it coming from? And that, that's another great question, I think. I think it's also important to uh, to think of uh, the blessings. You know, sometimes when something is is, is challenging and, and difficult, and your instinct is to want to complain, if you don't complain, it it, it might be an opportunity to appreciate uh, all the many blessings that we do have instead of just focusing on something we want to complain about. No, exactly. I find, I mean, it's a very surface topic, but people do it about the weather all the time. Oh my gosh, it's raining, it's cold, it's too hot. <laughs> I always find, you know, whereas if we see the beauty of the snow, we need the rain for the crops, we love the sunshine for vitamin D and, and lifting our spirits um, and the crisp, cold air, but, but all the weather is a gift from God. Everything gives Him glory. So, you know, do we kind of have a disposition even towards the weather that there's something good in it in each season, if depending where you live, but you know, are we always complaining about the 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 temperature? The it's always too hot, too cold. It's it's a great place to start. I think it's not about people or relationships, but you know, can we enter into the glory of God and the diversity of the the complementarity of the seasons? And you know, how do how do we do with that? Again, it's it might be a, a simple, small way to start thinking about this. Gosh, am I grateful for the cold, the heat, the sun, the rain, the snow? It's just just a thought, you know, maybe just to start there a little bit before we get too hard on ourselves or let ourselves off too easily. Um, you know, what are we doing there? So so complaining is, is a good thing as long as it's done in integrity and humility and to correct and help the situation. And it's coming from within us. Where is it coming from? That's the question, right? Where Where's my complaint coming from? Has it been reflected on, prayed upon, particularly the bigger ones? Want to make sure we're kind of prayed up before we share that, especially if it's a major complaint. Want to make sure that it's coming from prayer and reflection, and not not a selfishness at all. Well, you mentioned uh, that it is okay to to complain uh, when there's an injustice, and the first thing that came to mind, you know, if people hadn't been, you know, protesting so to speak and complaining uh, for nearly fifty years, Roe v. Wade never would have been overturned. Yeah, no, that's so. There's a good point right that social activism for the unborn and the vulnerable um you know again that that's you know that's an activism we we all took part in that hopefully and still do in different ways now we have to adjust and adapt to our pro-life stance how we do that locally um but again you know yeah i think uh 
sure, we we can complain about unjust laws and and things like that. Um, but again, where's that? Is God calling us to go there? You know, what's our disposition? I love pro-life rallies because they tend to be full of joyful people. Um, you know, I've met a few pro-lifers that are kind of cranky and very sour on humanity and things, and the majority are not. They're joyful. But but even there, that's a great, maybe we can even, you know, slice that up a little bit. Uh, you know, if we go there and are coming from a place of prayer and witness, inviting others to conversion and to change the law, but also change the hearts of people, we'll have a joyful presence as we complain against an unjust law. But if we go there and and kind of an angry righteousness and we encounter someone that's pro-abortion and against um, unborn life, how would we handle that? I think it kind of depends how we got to the protests in the first place, how we decided to write the letter, how we decided to call the office of the senator or the House of Representatives. Are we kind and polite and clear? Or are we kind of screaming and yelling and, and so that's I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's too like another way to kinda of inventory ourselves, uh where our complaints are coming from and also how how we complain about unjust laws and, and situations and circumstances. It's uh it's part of life. We're all we all have to do it. No one's exempt, I think. Uh so how are we gonna do it? And it's a great question to ask this morning. Okay, uh, one final thought, uh, and I am guilty of this one. What about complaining that the the temperature the, is too hot in in an office? Well, <laughs> you must have a hot office over there. <laughs> I think we have to. Yeah, it's, if it's too hot in an office, right? We ask people, "Do you think it's too hot in here?" Rather than "It's too hot in here." Arr! How about we ask someone? You know, do you think it's too hot in here? I'm I'm very warm. Are you experiencing that? You know, sort of. I always think open-ended questions are a good way to start complaining, not with declarative sentences like, it's too hot in here, I've had it, versus, does anyone else think, I'm, I'm kind of warm, Is it, are you warm in here, do you find it too hot sometimes, and kind of finding a way to deal with that, open the window, turn down the heat, get the radiator fixed, um, let's do this together, and make sure everyone else has come, someone else may have a... A medical condition that requires them to think 80 degrees feels like 65, and someone else just might have a, a different kind of body temperature. So we need to all live together, but how we do it, right? Open-ended questions, inquiry, prayer, humility, and then get the temperature down, both in the room, but also in us. I think if we come in at a good temperature, how we make the complaint, I think we'll we'll get a lot more done and, and solve the problem rather than just pointing it out. That's the key to the whole thing. I love it. Great, great, great perspective. Uh, I love y- your answer, of, of Father. Um, do it with charity if you're going to say something. Yeah, we do. And we got to work at that, all of us. So, And if you're really, if we're having a really bad day, not the right day to make a major complaint. Take take a rest. Wait till the next day till we get some rest. We pray up and we're coming in not so hot. I think if we come in hot, might be too much about us. Let's, and I don't mean the room temperature. I mean kind of the, the attitude, the disposition. So let's... Uh, Let's cool off, get some rest, pray, and then and then make make some sense and get it changed. Actually, it gets more done. Great perspective here at the beginning of the new year, Father Tyone. Thanks so much uh, for your clear insights and your spiritual uh, point of view. All right, happy new year. Bye-bye. Happy new year. Thanks so much, Father Marcel Tyone, the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and a longtime Relevant Radio and Morning Air contributor. We need to take a time out when Morning Air continues. 
Personal success coach Dave Duran will be with us uh, to talk about uh, some of the things that limit our success uh, at all things, including secular, family, and faith. So stay with us. We are headed down the stretch here on this Wednesday morning as uh, Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Of the blessings I've known Why me, Lord? What did I ever do That was worth love from you And the kindness you've shown Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Wednesday morning. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 2 Timothy 3.16. The Apostle St. Paul writes... All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, here on Morning Air and on Relevant Radio overall, we have a love and a reverence for the Word of God because all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching because it's the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, not merely the words of men. At the beginning of this new year, we hope that Catholics read, study, and pray God's Word more than ever before. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. A number of you want to be part of the conversation. Conversation triple eight nine one four nine one four nine triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Now I want to talk about success. We all want to be successful, and maybe success is different for each one of us. But basically, many of us, um, perhaps most of us, want to be the best version of ourselves in every aspect of our lives. Joining us live from Fort Myers, Florida, is our longtime Morning Air contributor and personal success coach, Dave Duran, to share five things that limit our success at all things, uh, including secular, family, and faith. Maybe uh, one of these things is limiting you to be successful. Dave Duran is an author, speaker, and executive coach. He is the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media and a founder of Lighthouse Catholic Media and DE Media. You can follow Dave on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Good morning, Dave. Thanks uh, once again uh, for joining us. It's always great to be with you. Hey, John, great to be with you, too. Uh, Dave, I'd love to get uh, your perspective on uh, the meaning of success in life. Well, you know, the meaning of success is very, very simple. There's really only one permanent success, and it's ultimately being in heaven with Christ. And, of course, we know that the work that Jesus did on Calvary is the path to that, but our participation in accepting uh, what responsibilities go along with believing in Christ matters. So, Ultimately speaking, if our success is to become a saint, that's going to mean a whole lot of success on earth. And that success is going to look different to a lot of different people. And it's accordance to our, our stewardship. You know, what did God give us? What is our calling in life? If our calling in life is to the religious life, that's going to look very different than it is if we're called to be married. If we're called to run a business, it may include a lot of wealth. If we're called to, as many great people have been, to Hollywood, it might include some fame or politics. 
If it's to be a second grade teacher, it might be a little bit more modest in accordance to those things, but at the same time, it could have a much far-reaching effect because of shaping young people to go do great things. So it looks different for everyone, and we have a tendency to judge these things by saying the bigger that it is, the more, um, you know, the more money or fame or power that's success, and it's just not. But at the same time, some people go the other way, and they basically say to forego all of those things would be the success. Well, okay, except for one thing. What if God's calling you to those things? Well, then what it means is we just need to manage these things appropriately so that they are not something that hinders our path to God, but enables it. Well, Dave, this is what I love about your perspective. You you are a success coach, but uh, you you bring that authentically Catholic perspective to to the meaning of, of success. Uh, which, at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, it's all about uh, uh, finishing the race and getting uh, to heaven. Um, Amen. This morning, we want to talk about some of the things that limit our our success. Tell us uh, about uh, what you think is the first thing that could limit our success in life. Well, I, it's our unwillingness to confront our non-beliefs. And John, this topic of non-beliefs is actually a really interesting one. So a lot of people say, I don't believe that. Uh, you know, well, okay, then what do you believe? In other words, there's, there's something out there that we would believe in replacement of something we don't believe. So if I said, I don't believe two plus two is four, well, then I must believe that it's something, even if it's nothing. I believe there is no math. Two plus two is nothing. Okay, well, it's a crazy thought, but at least it's a belief, right? I believe that. So if people say, well, I don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who died for our sins and is the path to heaven, well, then what do you believe? And it's a very interesting thing when a person says, well, I don't know if I believe anything. Well, then you believe nothing. And that's really true. And, and therefore, you would actually stand for nothing because nobody would die for the belief in nothing. Now, that's the big, most overarching thing, but there are other small things, too, that happen. And a lot of times, people have been taught when they were young things that aren't true about themselves. Somebody says to a very young child, oh, math's not your thing. Okay, well, why did they say that? And now the person doesn't believe math is their thing, or art's not your thing, or singing's not your thing, or whatever. And maybe it's true. I mean, maybe it's just good forming feedback from people who care that help guide you into the proper perspective. But at the same time, we grab onto and hold on to so many things about ourselves from past failures or experiences that may or may not be true. And we should explore what those things are. So in summary here, if you say, I don't believe that, and it's something that if you did believe would make you stronger and better, then you have to ask yourself what it is that you do believe and is that making you worse? And maybe re-examine and get behind those beliefs with a little bit of fact. Dave, last week uh, with the uh, death of uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, we heard about his teachings on the dictatorship of relativism. Do yeah. you think that we have a crisis in our culture today with people not believing that there is such a thing as objective truth? Oh yes, and this has been taking place for decades, there were some, you know, philosophers who uh, really helped shape this thinking in a subtle way, and those particular people actually have made their way uh, into a lot of educational systems because the elite are fans of some of these philosophical thoughts. So this has been penetrating for a long time. The problem is that now it's just in basically urban and suburban homes all across the United States and world, although I must admit that the United States has 
has really grabbed some of these philosophies even further than others. And what's so funny is that when people say that there is no such thing as objective truth or that all things are relative, they are basically saying it from this kind of highbrow, um, intelligent, I am more enlightened and sophisticated than you, aka smarter. And yet it's the easiest thing to defeat ever since the beginning of time to say, you don't believe that there are absolute truths? No, there are not. There's no such thing as truth. Well, if that's true, then it can't be true because that is a truth. And if it's false, why are you bothering to say it? So within a nanosecond, a second grader with logic can defeat the entire philosophy, but yet in our pride, we become ignorant. And why do we do this with our pride? Well, because we love our sin more than we love God, and then we can justify our behaviors. And it really comes down to that simple. Two plus two will always equal four, even if uh, a billion people say that it's not true. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. All right. What is the next thing that can limit our success? Well, this is related to the first one, and it's a false message or idea that's implanted into our minds, oftentimes in youth. So I talked about confronting our non-beliefs, and I highlighted this from just a bit, but I do want to go back and just remind people that if, okay, here's a good way of looking at this. If every single record in the Guinness Book of World Records, and you shouldn't really limit it to that, it should be other things, but if every single one of those records was attempted by every single person on earth, the whole book would be rewritten within a day or two. Now, that's an impossible proposition that I said there, but there's something in there that virtually everybody uh, would be good at or close to good at, but they never tried it. They just never tried it. And, you know, we only have so many years on earth. We can't try everything, but we limit ourselves. And one of the reasons we limit ourselves is because we might have been around somebody who was better than we were at something else. I was a middle child of two brothers, one, one year older and one younger, and then two sisters uh, uh, beyond that too, but they were brilliant. They always got the best grades. They were great athletes. I, I felt entirely subordinate or, or, or not even average when I was around them in so many different ways. And then I started to realize throughout life, well, actually, they're just pretty exceptional at what they do, and they're very smart people. And so maybe I've got a chance a little bit better and I got off to college and all of a sudden now I started to experience, wait a second, I think I learned a lot of things there. And you start to see yourself in a different way, then you can start to accomplish things in a different way. Do you think there's any truth to to the idea that, you know, virtually anything is possible, you know, if you set your mind on it and uh, the only thing that really needs stretching is, is your mind? Well, you know what? I do love that idea, but I also love that idea under the banner of of prudential thought. Meaning, one of the greatest things we can ever say to somebody is, uh, "Open up your mind, because you can, you know, you can do anything through Christ who strengthens me." I mean, it's right there, right? However, at the same time, it's also the worst advice we can give people because we're not called to just basically indulge ourselves into our own desires without consideration that we were actually made by God who has a plan for us. So instead, what we're supposed to do is to say, um, there is something out there that I can do exceptional because God made me that way. But if we just simply say, I can do anything that I want to do, 
we're going to be stuck in the mode that people are in the first part of American Idol where they can't sing anything and the whole world just closed their ears and every judge said, sorry, this isn't your thing. And the person looks back at the judge and says, you're wrong, I'll be the next American Idol. I mean, that is self-deceit at such a level that you, we, we have to actually listen to the idea that, that some of these things we can't do. So we can't be anything that we want to be, but it doesn't matter because we need to be the thing we're supposed to be, and that thing we can do better than you know, we could possibly imagine. Perhaps we, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, provided it's in line with his will. That's, Amen. That's the part. Great, that's the great way of putting it, John. That's excellent. There you go. Maybe the, the line right out of the Our Father, thy will be done. Yes, yes. All right. I want to invite our listeners. Uh, we're going to take your calls for Dave Duran. If you want to share your thoughts on some of the things that you've experienced that limits your success in life, we'd love to hear from you. You can uh, be part of the conversation at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short break as we continue our discussion with executive coach Dave Durant. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more after this timeout. Welcome back to Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks for joining us as uh, we uh, continue our conversation about success and some of the things that limit our success. If you want to be part of the conversation uh, with uh, Dave Durand, uh, our success coach, if you want to share some of your thoughts on some of the things that limit uh, your success in life, we'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149 is the number... 888-914-9149. Dave, welcome back. Good to be back, John. All right, let's uh, move right along. What is the third thing that limits our success at all things? Well, it's intentionally sabotaging what works in order to justify our failures. And this is something that people have a tendency to do. We really, really, really gravitate toward our wants and our likes as opposed to gravitating toward the things that we should do. So what I always, what I always tell people is I say, listen, you should, you should tame your want-tos and fuel your ought-tos. Really giving, if a person gives that some thought, it really will alter their day, okay? So I want to have a second chocolate bar. I ought to not, okay? I want to sleep in and not go to work I ought to get up and do that. I want to come home after work and not pay attention to my kids or wife because I'm tired. I ought to do that. So if we tame our want-tos and we fuel our ought-tos, we do well. Now, generally, our want-tos have goodness in them. Now, it could be a disordered thing, in which case we need to kill that want-to, but we have to say, well, why do I want that thing and how can I actually go after that thing in a good way? And there's a different way to do that, generally speaking. But if we tame our want-tos, generally not kill them or destroy them, it's good to have a chocolate bar. It's good to sometimes sleep in on a weekend. It's good to have a little bit of alone time, but it's not good to do these things out of order. So when we feel that, now why do I say it that way? Because our ought-to is our conscious. That's what actually guides us. Our, our want-tos are oftentimes our temptations 
uh, and our ought tos are actually our, our, our conscious being active and well formed. And that's a key that the conscience be well formed. Uh, it's so easy to justify uh, our failures. And I, I'm just, I couldn't help but think, you know, it, oh, one little bite of a chocolate bar, it's not going to hurt me. Right. And we have a tendency to say, well, since I've already had one bite, I might as well have the whole box. And we slide into these things. And what's really interesting, too, is when people go through ext extremes, they'll do this in, um, in, in their diet, too. And I think this is a good way of looking at most things in using diet just simply as a, an analogy. But people are like, you know, I'm on the all whatever diet now. I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to go to this crazy concept here that's not, not even sustainable for this long period of time. Well, that's the classic yo-yo dieting. And it's like trying all these different things. When a person does that, they have intense cravings. They don't really build a habit of goodness. Why? Because the whole idea of these extreme diets, unless they're required by a doctor for some sort of medical need or something, it is, it is a preying upon weak people, generally speaking. It's that you're so desperate to get rid of one vice in your life or one part of your life that you don't like that you'd be willing to try anything. But then what happens is all it does is drive up intense cravings other places. And we have a tendency to not be in this balanced mode. Whereas a person who lives actually a healthy life has just gained control. They don't, they don't um, eat in a particular way that makes them crave all sorts of things that are bad for them. They actually don't even feel a whole lot of discipline in it. This is also true about our spiritual life to a very large degree. What happens is if we have a vice or a sin that we participate in a lot, and then all of a sudden now we are just trying to will our way against it. You start to crave it more sometimes. But once we actually have a conversion and we give that to God and we start to pray toward things, the, the desire for that actually is reduced more. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not susceptible to things, that any one of us just taking two or three wrong steps can be right back into where we were. But the desire for it does actually begin to go away because... We desire goodness more than we desire that. So our satisfaction for the things that are good exceeds the satisfaction for the things that are bad. And that is when we have a reduced need for all sorts of will and self-control because you start to get into a momentum that itself is more rewarding. Sounds uh, like a pretty good perspective. We're talking about uh, things that limit our success in all things. Lisa is joining us this morning from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Good morning, Lisa. You're on with Dave Duran. Thank you. Oh, my gosh, you're just like hitting home. I have a pie that my neighbor made me, and I'm trying to resist it. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, maybe just one more. <laughs> but I'm thinking to what, what you're saying is I'm um, starting now, I guess, starting now. I always, you always say tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. But if you start now, I guess it's like those baby steps. You know what I mean? You're just trying to successfully do something and do the little baby steps. Trying yeah. you know, to try to successfully get to that end where you want to go. But you got to let go of, you know, that tie. I mean, I'm like, this is, this pie, is she ever going to make me this pie ever again? But I'll have to let it go. I have to let it go today. And then that's a start to my success. Yeah. 
Actually, Lisa, it's a good analogy. It's, uh, I mean, there's a real-life example probably of this particular pie, but it's a great analogy for all things. So, uh, and we just recently, John, talked about this, where if, if you're waiting until the New Year's to do your New Year's resolutions, it's probably not going to work, because if they're really that important, why would you wait? And tomorrow, Lisa, there's going to be another neighbor in some way, shape, or form that delivers another pie, right? So what we do is we say, well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to live a lifestyle that is now better. So how will I manage that today? Well, I might have a, a, a taste of this fine, or I might just resist it altogether. Uh, and then if something comes up, because I generally, by the way, this is a good example. I, I, I hate using my own examples because I have so many flaws that really it, I, I don't feel the need to purport myself as is the icon of anything's good, but there's so many other better examples. But I do generally eat healthy. And the other day, though, I was at somebody's house and they offered some cookies and, you know, and, and coffee with cream and things like this. And generally not the way I'd eat. And, you know, you just, you want to be a gracious guest. So you have it. You just, you enjoy it with them. Why? Well, because the rest of the time you're doing things effectively so that you aren't rude when you're in the presence of somebody else and you can enjoy that sort of thing and enjoy the love that they're trying to share by providing it to you. So all things reasonable when we do this allows us to build the habits. Thanks so much, uh, Lisa. I like my pie a la mode, a little ice cream on top. Uh, thanks again. Uh, Dave, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, hit these last two things uh, that limit our success. Well, committing to bringing others down with us, that is a big thing that limits our success. Misery loves company, and we will oftentimes want to bring other people down to where we are. We, we are very hurt by the fact that they might see things in a way that allows them to have greater success. We see that they have greater joy in their life, and so what do we do? We have a tendency to try to disrupt their lives in that regard or mock their lives if their lives are really good, and that is something that is a natural tendency. Now, a lot of people would never admit they do that. And in fact, it's interesting. You think just about the, the temperaments, the caloric person. It's very easy to see their pride because they're like in charge, right? I'm, I'm doing this. You can see their pride. You can see the sanguine's pride because everything that they wear matches. They go to the greatest places. They're very, you know, they're, they, they can be loud and they always uh, grab attention, right? Uh, you can see the melancholic's pride too, because the melancholic is constantly telling everybody that they're wrong about this, that, and the other thing. Now, by the way, there's great tendencies in all of these um, uh, temperaments, but the downside is what I'm mentioning. The phlegmatic is a hard one to recognize, because the phlegmatic person is generally the person who says, I would never do that. I'm, I'm too good to ever act that way. So we have to recognize that we will bring others down, whether we're going to do it directly like the caloric, whether we're going to distract them like the sanguine, whether we're going to ridicule them like the melancholic, or whether we're going to passively aggressively uh, act above somebody else. So those are important things. Dave, uh, final minute, uh, the fifth thing that limits our success. Abandoning our reliance on God. This is a huge thing. Huge. And we abandon our reliance on God by stopping talking to him. By the, one of the first things we stop doing is interacting with God. It may be because we start sinning and now we don't pray as much, uh, but we have to practice our faith. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It's not about that. People have a tendency to think, well, I'm now, I, you know, I have this vice, I have this problem, therefore God is not for me because I just can't live up to it. No, God is very, even more so now, right? I mean, I don't think there's ever a more so, but this is a time to do that. And no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, make sure that, you know, even in the midst of challenges in life, 
You're interacting with God about these things. We praise God in all things, not just only in the good times, uh, but also in the challenging times, and, uh, and He will always draw us closer. Work as it all depends on you, and pray as it all depends on God. Dave, uh, thanks so much for being with us, as always. Really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Dave Durant, co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media. You can follow Dave on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And now it's time for yet another episode of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today is called Clean Your Windows. A young couple moved into a new neighborhood, and the next morning while they were eating breakfast, the young woman saw her neighbor hanging her wash to dry. That laundry's not very clean, she said. He doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband looked on but remained silent. Every time her neighbor hung wash to dry, the young woman repeated her observations about the dirty laundry. About a month later, the woman was surprised to see nice clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she's learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this. The husband said, well, you see, I got up early this morning and I cleaned our window. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Stop judging that you may not be judged. For as you judge, so will you be judged. With the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me remove that splinter from your eye while the wooden beam is in your eye? You hypocrites, remove the wooden beam from your eye first, then you'll see clearly to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. As always, uh, thanks so much, Glenn. Really appreciated powerful scripture. Let's get off to a great start this new year by praying the family rosary across America with Father Rocky, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Wednesday edition of Morning Air for Glenn Levers, producers Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Thursday on the next Morning Air. Jesus, I trust in you. The Patrick Madrid Show is up next.